Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, please keep that uh, sheet open on page five so we can look at those sentences that come from the Bible. There's a book called Ephesians. It says that at the top of page five. And that's straight out of the Bible. It's written by a man called Paul. And it's a very, very old book, just written a couple of decades after the life of Jesus had come to an end on the cross. We've been in a series, uh, if you've not been with us, we've been looking at who God claims he is from the Bible. So we've looked that the Christian God is a God who is unique. There is no other. He's just, he's majestic, he's holy. Looking at these words that you don't kind of use every day, but they're Bible words. So we look into the Bible and understand uh, who God has revealed himself to be. Uh, but this few sentences that you've got on page five, it's like one of those goo puddings. Hands up if you've ever had on a Saturday evening, because you've had a very bad week, a goo pudding. You know which ones I mean that come in glass jars? It was interesting that there's a lot of ladies and just a few men, but we won't go there. <laughs> Let's move on. It's just an observation. Um, those goo puddings are absolutely great because they're so, so rich, uh, and you get the free glass jar, and then you can use stuff with it. It's all about the glass jar for me, no matter how much the pudding costs, millionaire shortcake, um, all those other ones, the brownie one, which is great, but it's the cheesecake one for me. This uh, little part of the Bible, these 10 sentences, they're like a goo pudding. There's no glass jar, but they're so rich, they're so deep, they're like the ocean, that we could spend months in these 10 sentences. Are you kidding me? I thought this was going to be half an hour. We're not going to take months. We're going to take about 20 minutes, and we're going to look at this goo pudding because it shows us another part of God's character, and it's a word that we've sung about, we've heard it's this one word. Well, can you tell me what it is? It's in sentence five. Look at the little number five, halfway down page five. It says, by grace you're saved. Two sentences down in sentence seven. It talks about the, incomparably, the incomparable grace of God. And then just beneath it in sentence eight, it's by grace you're saved. Do you see the word that's in each of those sentences? It's saturated. It's this word, grace, and I want us to get a handle on it because God is a God of grace, but, and this passage helps us understand that, that God is a God of grace, and it understands also, it explains the grace of God. God of grace and the grace of God from this rich pudding of 10 sentences that I want us to look at. Another way to look at it, another camera lens, is, is just to look at it in, in two sections. The first three sentences tell us, what people are like before they become Christians. What, what Chris was like before he became a Christian, before God reached out and rescued him. And then sentence four to sentence seven and beyond, it shows what God has done. Chris did nothing. God did everything. That's another way to look at these sentences. It's the good news of the gospel that if you've never heard it before, it's different from every other religion in the world. No other religion is like this. 
where God takes all the initiative. Every other religion is common because it says you need to do this, you need to go to this place, you need to don't, don't do that, do lots of this. Every religion can be described like that. Christianity is different. Christianity says you can't do it, God will do it all for you. You can't save yourself, God will rescue you. That's why Christianity is so different. And these 10 sentences explain that to us. So what is grace? Let's get a handle on it. It's not a goo pudding. In a way it is, it's kind of deep and you can enjoy it. But what is grace? What does it mean? It says in sentence eight, it's at least this, right? Look at sentence eight. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. Let's work with that. And just in case we missed it, it says sentence eight, it's not from yourselves. Then sentence nine, the next sentence, not by works, so that no one can boast. So grace is a gift. It's not from you. It's from somewhere else. So you've got no grounds to say, I did it. I was in Waterloo Station this week, and I'm always one for a freebie. Did anyone get one of the free cans of Diet Coke with strawberries? One person there. Um, I, I went back the next day. Did you do that as well? I was there three days running. I got two. And you get the free tote bag as well if you crushed it? No, okay. Never mind. If you crushed it and recycled it, because I'm trying to be a little bit greener, you got a free tote bag if it got in the, uh, through the zigzag into the hole at the bottom next time. That can of Coke, because I probably should be Scottish, I don't like spending money. That can of Coke, I just enjoyed it because it tasted pretty good with strawberry, but also because it was free. <laughs> it was great because it was free. It tasted all the better. It was a gift to me. This passage says that God's grace is a free gift, but it's so much greater than a can of Coke. It's so much greater than a pen that you get given by the Salvation Army every Christmas when they ask you to give a donation. It's so much greater than a kind of a, a docket that you get if you go to a conference or a USB drive with, with some branding on the outside. It's so much greater than that. I just want to look at it. Here's three words for you. Essential. It's the first word. It's in sentences one to three. God's grace is essential. God's grace is essential. Look at sentence one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, I'm not a doctor, but there are degrees of sickness. A number of our children are brilliant at acting. You know how it goes. So don't laugh. So there's a headache but actually they're dead, they're dying, because it's a headache and the world is going to end. It's a hot day and surely, come Lord Jesus, it's a terrible thing. Sometimes we can exaggerate, but there are degrees of sickness. You, you get hay fever and it's an irritant. I, I, I've had it pretty bad the last few weeks, but it's nothing like someone who goes and hears that they've got cancer. That's a degree of sickness that you go from something you can get a paracetamol for or you can take some hay fever for and then you get very serious. There are degrees of sickness. One, you can medicate yourself. One, you need to go and get help for. You need to go and see a doctor. You need to go and see a consultant. You need an operation. And sometimes you get great news that you can be cured. Sometimes you get tragic news when you can't be. There's degrees of sickness. But sentence one says that you're not sick. It says you're dead. Now, people can die in different ways. You can die ugly. You can die sad. You can die tragic. But one out of one people die. And this sentence says, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You've got nothing to contribute here. You're dead dead. 
You're not sick. It's not a common cold. You're dead dead. You go to a doctor when you're ill and you say, I need some help. This is not what it's describing. You don't ring up Dr. God and say, help. Send me the prescription. Show me what I can do. When you go to the doctor, you contribute something. You've got to go. I have white coat syndrome. I hate going to the doctor. I've given blood once in my life and I fainted. I don't really want to admit that, but I just have publicly. I'm not really a man's man when it comes to needles. Other things, other people's blood, fine. My blood, it stays inside my body. Thank you very much. But when you are ill, you need to go to a doctor. You contribute something. But when you're dead, you can contribute nothing. There are no degrees. Verse 1 says... You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 3 says, all of us lived a certain way. One out of one people die. One out of one people live selfishly. So we don't ring up Dr. God and say, help. There's no contribution we can give. We don't go to see the consultant. There's nothing we give to God apart from our sin, says the Bible. Spiritually speaking, each one of us are walking dead. Thanks a lot. That's very cheery. But that's what the Bible says. That's what, we, that's what we're told here. And because one out of one people are spiritually dead, we've got nothing to give to God apart from our own sin. We contribute absolutely nothing to him. God's grace is absolutely vital. It's essential. It's life-giving. There's no way to God apart from God's grace. We cannot reach up to him. He needs to reach out and rescue us. That's the claim of this passage in the whole Bible. And that's what verses 1 to 3 says. Each one of us is spiritually dead. We deserve God's justice for our rule-making and our rule-breaking. It's a nice and an accurate way to put it. So God's grace, here's the first word, God's grace is essential. God's grace is essential. But notice verses 4 to 7, sentences 4 to 7. God's grace is essential, verses 1 to 3. God's grace is costly. God's grace is costly. That's in sentences four to seven. Now, God does stuff now. Look at uh, sentence five and six with me. God does three things that shows the costliness of his grace, that it's so much greater than a can, a free can, two free cans and a tote bag that I managed to wheedle from a kind volunteer at Waterloo Station this week. Look at sentence five. What does God do? God in Jesus. Here's the great news that should make you say, wow. He makes us alive with Christ, sentence five. Sentence six, he raises us up with Christ. Sentence six again, and he seats us, seats us with him in the heavenly realms. I like numbers, I don't like words, but the bit I do remember from school is past tense. Look at uh, sentences five and six. Each of those words, the things that God does, he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us. It's not something that will happen. It's already happened. So for Chris and for every Christian in this room, the future is absolutely settled and secure because we are united with Jesus Christ. That happens by faith. So we're spiritually dead, but we're walking. We're virtually raised already. We're virtually seated with Jesus. We've got one of those director's chairs. It doesn't say Steven Spielberg. It says your name. It says Chris Wilkes on the back. Because of Jesus, Chris Wilkes is seated just a bit to the left of Jesus. And so is every Christian. We're virtually seated with Jesus already. We're, we're not literally there. We're in a sweaty school hall in Stamford Green in Epsom. We're just outside London. It's 2019. But literally... 
We might not be there, but legally we are because of Jesus. Jesus Christ died and he was raised to life and God said yes. He rose victoriously 2,000 years ago. And because Jesus Christ was raised from death to life, every Christian shall be as well. So we're already there with Jesus. We're alive with Jesus. We've been raised with Jesus. We're seated with Jesus. And it's already happened. We just need to realize it. It needs to become so that we can taste it and see it. But we're there already by faith. Our seat is reserved. And it's all because of Jesus. Sentence 5 and 6, it says, with Jesus, with Jesus. If Jesus was raised, we have to be as well. We are to God now because of Jesus lovely. We are to God now because of Jesus accepted and approved. When God looks at every Christian, he sees the perfect nature of Jesus. We've been raised and seated with him. But this works both ways. This is the good news of the Christian message. We get absolutely everything that Jesus Christ deserves. But it cuts both ways. Because Jesus Christ received everything we truly deserve. It's a historical fact that Jesus Christ died outside of Jerusalem. He was nailed on a cross for the sins of the world. He got everything that I deserved, that Chris deserves, that you and I deserve together because of our rule-breaking and our rule-making. God's justice, his wrath, his righteous anger against our rebelliousness, our sin, the fact that we said to God, shove off, we don't want you to live. We don't want to live under your loving rule. We think we're better off by ourselves. And so God was made sin, says another part of the Bible. God made him sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It cuts both ways. We get all that Jesus Christ deserves because Jesus got all that we deserve. That's the claims of Christianity. What do we deserve? We deserve alienation, separation, justice. And where did that happen? It happened on the cross. We get all that Jesus deserves. Why? Because Jesus took it all. He took up our punishment. He took our alienation. He took our separation. Eternally in an instant, in a way that we never fully understand. On the cross, Jesus physically died. He lost his father for the glory of his father and so that he could gain us. He paid a great price. It's costly, you see. It's essential, but it's also costly. See, a free gift like a can of Diet Coke is not going to change my life. It kind of made me feel bloated and thought I'd never have one again. And then I got a free one the next day in a tote bag. But a free gift will never change your life. But if you see how costly something truly is, it might. But it depends. Imagine you've got a friend who comes to your house and uh, there's the credit card bill and a few other bills out on the desk. It's just come through and you've ignored them again. But you've ignored them. It's the water bill as well and the virgin bill and the sky bill and the other bills as well. And, and, and you leave the room and your friend gets out their mobile f- uh, phone and they decide that they're going to pay the bills for you. So they pay all the bills and then they scarper because they're embarrassed. And uh, they just leave you notes saying, hey, I paid your bills. No need to pay them. Don't pay them twice. Now, depending on which bill it was, wouldn't it depend how excited you were? So they paid your mobile phone contract. That's uh, 40 pounds. That's great. But what about if they paid your mortgage? Whew. 500 quid, 800 quid. That's your rent check, 1,500 pounds. What about if they paid your whole mortgage off? 
What about if they paid your whole credit card bill off? Hopefully that's less than your mortgage, if you have one. But you get the point. Depending on the size of the bill, depends on whether you say wow or not, doesn't it? How do you understand God's grace? By understanding verse 1. I was dead spiritually. God paid my bill to the max. And he didn't just pay the bill that I owed to God. He gave me everything that he owns and deserves as well. I'm raised with him. I'm seated with him. I'm already there. I just need to realize it. When was the last time you said, wow, Christian friend? When was the last time you see the size of the debt that Jesus paid on your behalf at the cross? If you're not a Christian, you're here this morning. This is a key thing you've got to grasp. To see the grace of God is not something that's bolted onto your life. Becoming a Christian is not just a subtle change. It's a revolution on the inside. It's not religious insurance in case it's real, in case those Christians are, in case they've got it right, I'm going to just come to church. That's, that's not it at all. God's grace changes you from the inside out. It makes you a new person, new priorities, new taste buds. As Chris said so helpfully, because grace is essential, grace is costly. Thirdly, Grace changes you. Grace changes you. That's two words. Did you get that from Chris as he spoke earlier so helpfully? Look at sentence eight. We've read it already. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Each one of us gets our self-image by comparing ourselves with other people. A book I read recently, it says it's, it's our enoughness. We get our enoughness. We feel good about ourselves when we say, I earn more than my friend. I'm a better parent than my friend. I score more goals than my friend. I get better academic success. We compare ourselves. I've got a newer car than they have, and so on. And by looking horizontally, we, we feel good about ourselves. When you understand the gospel, rather than looking down at anybody, God's grace humbles you, so you never look down on anyone again. But also you start to look up at one person who lived a perfect life, his name is Jesus Christ. All your tragedies and your troubles are understood in a new way. It's a new lens to look at life. It's new taste buds, new priorities that God gives you, and you're changed from the inside out. You don't look down at people, you look up at Jesus. You don't accuse people, you don't feel accused. Because Jesus knows the depths of your heart. As the song says, he loves you the same. Here, Paul writes, verse 8, It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. God gives you absolutely everything, new taste buds, so you become this strange word, his workmanship. He puts you on a new set of railway tracks. There's a new plan for your life that only you can do. New priorities that he gives you. New dreams and new goals that you want to achieve that are other-centered. New group of people that you want to hang around, this weird bunch of people called the church, who are really strange. If you kind of come along a few times, you will see how strange I am and we are. But God's grace has, is essential. And God's grace is costly. And God's grace changes you. Let me close with this image of a frog. Have you ever woken up someone by kissing them? Maybe a kid, maybe a loved one. They're snoring next to you. And you say, I'll be kind to them and not elbow them. I'm going to kiss them on the cheek and they wake up. And there's that look of a little one. 
They look back in the eye and, and they wake up sweetly and they love you. Or there's the prince, the handsome prince who, who goes and kisses a frog and transforms them. And you think, yeah, that never happens unless it's Disney. Here is a description in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually asleep. But it's the sleep of death. It's the sleep of not knowing our maker. And God, by his grace, comes near to us in his son. And it's as if he's kissing us on the cheek to wake us up. We're not calling out to him, hey, come and save me, come and rescue me. He does all the running, he does all the rescue. And sometimes he kisses us on the cheek. Sometimes he comes with a megaphone in the middle of our life when we think we've got it all, all the cars, all the right postcodes, and he wakes us up in a different way. But here's a description of the God who's gracious. We're not looking for him, we're not calling to him, but he comes and he kisses you awake with costly grace and he gives you faith. And if you're not yet a Christian, what a great morning it is to embrace him for the first time.